was just thinking about Heather's testimony and uh, uh, a verse that's come up over and over again for me this summer uh, as dealing with diff- different issues is uh, 2 Chronicles uh, 12, verse, um, sorry, let me see here, 2 Chronicles 20, verse 12, and, and, uh, and the guy who's writing it, it's a situation where it's like a total helpless situation, but he says this, oh God, will you not execute judgment on them? For you are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. And then he says this, which I think we can all resonate at one time or another. He says this, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And, and uh, I mean, if we're, if we're living in our reality, which is uh, we are helpless and hopeless and, and uh, apart from God, uh, that would be our prayer every day. Lord, Lord, we do not know what to do but our eyes are on you. So um, thank you so much, Heather, for sharing uh, this morning. Well, we want to talk about uh, lies we believe. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach this morning. Pastor Michael is going to be on tonight, and then uh, tomorrow I'm back on again. And uh, when we think about lies, uh, of course, we need to remember uh, where the lies come from. Uh, they come from the father of lies, which is Satan. Right now, uh, I don't know how many billion, we got seven, eight billion, we got a lot of people on the earth right now, but Satan, what Satan tries to do with every one of those people is to deceive them, and he's highly successful for a lot of people, uh, the God of this world has darkened the minds of many, and they resist the truth, they don't, they don't come to the truth, and, and, and if he fails in that, he's still trying to get you to believe in lies, so I, I believe uh, everyone here today is a believer, in Lord Jesus Christ, and um, if that's the case, I want you to understand that, that Satan is still trying to deceive you. He's still trying to get you to believe lies, because if he can do that, then he can impact your sanctification. It, he'll impact your witness, and when we live a lie, it, it, it has a, a, a dramatic effect on uh, our Christ-likeness and, and our uh, ability to, to know God more. So, what is the solution? Well, we already uh, had Nathan read that this morning, but uh, John eight thirty one it says this, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and what? The truth will set you free. When we believe lies, we're un- under slavery, but when we believe the truth, we're set free. And he says in verse 36, So if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. And that's the, that's the glorious hope of the gospel, right? If we know Christ, then we can be freed from that old slavery to sin, slavery to lies, and we can be set free. And, and, uh, and so we need to continually be on guard against lies that we would believe. And you are susceptible to different lies depending on where you live in the world, right? We kind of get used to our culture. We get used to the the, the, the way that life is in our culture, and it's kind of like the, you know, the, the frog in the water analogy, right? If you try to put a, a frog in boiling water, it will jump out, right? But if you just have the frog in the water, you just kind of slowly, has anyone actually tried this? Slowly heat it up. <laughs> You're like, hey, we're, e- we're eating frog tonight. That's right. Um, that, that it would stay in the water and not, and not leave. And, and I think when it comes to our Christian walk, if you're thrown into a situation and it's like, oh man, I know that's sin, you, you, would, you would run, you would flee from it. But I think a lot of times we just kind of sit in the water long enough, we sit in our culture long enough that it has an impact on what we believe. And we, we need to say, hey, like there's some lies that we believe that um, 
that have infiltrated the church that, that ought, we ought not to be believing. So I want us to, first of all, um, think about the fact that, and maybe just let me back up. So culture is one way, but what? God calls us to be set apart from that culture, right? So as I've said from the beginning of this church, I don't care what Canada thinks, right? Like who, who cares what Canada, what, what does the Bible say, Right? And, and, and uh, we're not trying to build a Canadian church. We're not trying to, you know, when we're planning overseas, we don't, we don't like, hey, put it, make sure there's a Moldovan flag up, a Nepali flag up. Like, we don't, it's Christ's church, right? So we want to always go by the word of God. And, uh, and so we want to be set apart. So the truth that, uh, sorry, the lie I want us to think about this morning is this one. I need to live my truth. I need to live my truth. And I, as we think about society right now, this is like, in our culture, I wouldn't say all cultures, but in our culture, this is a huge one right now. And uh, so I did a little Googling on uh, what does it mean to live my truth and found some awesome blogs that I would never recommend to anyone. Um, here's here's uh, one blog that says this, to live in your truth simply means to live as your most authentic self. Doing things daily that bring you happiness and joy. Living as true to yourself as possible. Now, we used to call that selfishness. But now it's called, like, that's celebrated, right? Do what you want to do, and, and you will be authentic. That's a big word right now. You'll be your most authentic self. Later in the blog, she says this, One day, we may well take a step back and say, No, I'm going to live the life I want to live, not the life I think I should live and everyone around me thinks I should live. This day will be a powerful day for all those that get there. It is empowering to take control of your life, your destiny, and ultimately your happiness. I hope by the end of this article you feel empowered to do exactly that. Live life as you want. Now, that premise is on steroids right now. It's not, it's not just like, you know, well, you do your thing, I'm going to do my thing. No, it's, that's not enough right now. Truman, uh, I mentioned this book a few weeks ago in, when I was preaching at, at the church, and um, he, he's, he really unpacked it well in his book called Strange New World. I recommend it. I recommend that one. If you've already got the big one, Maybe put it on like a book sale and then, uh, and then use that money to buy A Strange New World. It's, you don't need to read the big one. That's what I'm trying to say. And, and, and what, he, what he tries to help us to understand, and I think this is really important for us in this room to understand this. Authority now lies with self. It, it is my feelings. This is what culture is thinking. This is what culture is teaching. Authority lies in myself. And in in even in a secular society at one point, Authority lay in the country, in, in, our, in our standards. That this is the group thinking. This is what we do together. This is acceptable. This is not acceptable. And, of course, in, in better times, this is what the Bible says. And, and so we're going to live according to that even when we don't want to. Even when it's hard, we're going to live that way. But that's no longer the authority. The authority is now self. Truman says this, The modern self assumes the authority of inner feelings and sees authenticity as defined by the ability to give social expression to the same. The modern self assumes that society at large will recognize and affirm this behavior. Okay, so we got those two parts, right? First of all, my inner feelings my, uh, uh, is, is, is the authority. 
right? It's to be authentic. It's to whatever I feel that is truth. The second part, which is alarming, but if you think about what's happening in our society, it is 100% accurate. Second part of this is society at large will recognize and affirm this behavior. It's not enough to just say you do your thing. You have to come alongside now and affirm that and encourage that. So how did the trans movement become so popular so quickly? Because of this thinking. This person says, I'm a woman trapped in a man's body, and that's what my feelings are telling me. And so society now must help me to achieve that goal, to become a woman. That's what society is doing. And, of course, vice versa. Uh, and, and to say anything against that would be, I mean, think of all the phobias you can come up with. But that, that you're, you're being hateful. That's not loving. Loving is affirming that person to be their authentic self. So if they're a woman trapped in a man's body, that's great. If they're a man trapped in a woman's body, we're going to help them. And now, I didn't hear about this until this summer, but it is picking up steam. Anybody heard of furries? Okay. Furries? Okay. So when you, and again, how do, we, how do we get to furries? When you say whatever I feel I am, I am, and society has to support that, then you come up with furries. Furries, uh, I, I, I found this somewhat comical article, but it kind of, it wasn't supposed to be comical, but it, it affirms everything that Truman is talking about here. So this is a school in Australia. There's a private school where one of their students, uh, an eighth grader, is identifying as a cat, right? Now, this nonverbal student is supposedly very bright and identifies with what is known as the furry subculture online. And then the, the article goes on and talks about this phenomenon. And, and there was a paper written on it in Social Psychology back in 2008. The paper defines the furry identity as someone who feels a deep connection or even assumes the characteristics of a particular species of animal. This is commonly known as fursona. <laughs> For real. They call it fursona. Okay? You know, like a persona, like when people are people? This is a fursona. So a source, the, 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 this, this, this uh, media was trying to find out from the school what's, what's happening. A source told the publication, no one seems to have a protocol for students identifying as animals, but the approach has been that if it doesn't disrupt the school, everyone is being supportive. Adding, the behavior is being normalized. Now more and more people are identifying as whatever they want to identify with, including furries. While the reason why some people identify as others than human is not fully known, there are some suggestions that it offers an alternative way to fit into society that always doesn't make room for everyone. And honestly, if you want to get at the heart of this, when I think about our students, this is it. They actually are accurate on that. When I see boys trying to become women, women trying to become men, and starting to dress that way and changing their names, oftentimes I can quickly say, that kid got picked on at school. You can just tell. They just have that persona about them. Not persona, persona about them. And so this is how I'm going to fit in. This is how I'm going to be cool now. But the tr end result of this is obviously very, very tragic. 
Continuing in the article, it says, it definitely draws an alternative type of person, but having said that, when you put a type of group of people together who have the same interests, no one's strange or different, says self-professed furry Elda Collins. And then it says this at the end of the article, it's obvious there is much more understanding that needs to take place to fully realize how to support the people in this community. Like there's no like, this is craziness and we need to help these kids. Like if they continue to live like this, their future is bleak at best. But that's not what's happening. Our society is saying, like, you better get alongside this and learn how to support them. And how you do that, you just listen to them because they're the authority. And you listen to them and you support them in whatever they feel. So you thought trans was getting crazy. Now it's furries. I don't know. There is no end to this when self is the authority. And everyone's job is to listen to you. So that's what it means to live my truth in this society. Jared Wilson says this, what it has been unleashed through the endemic catastrophe, catastrophe, it doesn't sound right, catastrophe, there it is, <laughs> somebody asked me if I spoke two languages, I'm like, I don't speak one, um, catastrophe <laughs> is the encoding in our spiritual DNA or an irrational distrust in the creator and a rationalized worth worship of self and so uh, as we think about Romans 1 disregarding God and worshiping him as the creator now we worship creation and God has handed us over to a depraved mind and so we're seeing the fruit of that the worship of self and an utter disregard for the creator and his design is where our car- culture is currently at and if we're not careful we can begin to slip into this thinking that I need to live my truth. Now, n- I don't think anyone here is going to buy a cat costume tomorrow and throw on a tail, okay? I don't think that's where we're at because you're like, you're like, that's like putting the frog in the boiling water. But I think we can begin to start thinking like, I mean, I used to think that, what the Bible said, but I'm starting to change what I think. And that's when we start to be- believe my truth. So, I want us to think about the truth about my truth this morning, right? The truth about my truth. And the first thing we're going to look at is my truth cannot be trusted. My truth cannot be trusted. I don't know if you, if you had that epitome, or <laughs> I'm really good with words today, that, that moment where you're like, wait a minute, I can't trust me. Have you ever had that moment? Because you, you think, like, I know. I know, I, I, I was there, I seen it, I know my heart, and you know, like, I, I have an accurate view of things. But y- all you need to do is like go to four witnesses who've seen a car accident and understand that none of us really have it 100%. Because everyone sees that car accident differently. Everyone has a different point of view. Now, they all might be true in a sense, but every view is different. Now, when it comes to sin... Do I have a proper view of self? Well, the Bible tells us what? Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? The heart is deceitful above all things. My heart, your heart. Some of the commentaries are like, well, you know, is this Jeremiah talking about himself or he's talking about one of the kings? And and one commentator was great. He's like, doesn't really matter. He's talking about everybody on this earth, right? Everyone has a 
heart that is deceived. And that can go on for eternity, if not for God's grace. And so when it comes to our trusting ourselves, we need to be very wary of that. If it's left to just me, and and what I mean by that, apart from the scriptures, if I'm trying to decide if what I'm doing is right or wrong, more times uh, than not, I'm going to deceive myself. Feinberg says this, Who on earth can plumb the depths of the heart's corruption or sickness? Even its owner does not know it. And so we need to have a very healthy distrust of our own hearts, of what we would think. We need to continually be thinking, like, how does this line up with Scripture? I'm not just going to assume that I'm right, because I may be wrong. And in fact, the Bible warns me that a lot of times I am going to be wrong. Now, as you think about what the Bible says versus what we've just heard about furries and and the the need to help those who, who are trying to live out their authentic self, that whole premise of living out the authentic self is this, I'm a good person. I'm a, I'm, I'm a perfect person if I'm not influenced by society. I start on this earth pure. And if I can stop the influence of society on me, then I get to live out my perfect self. So whether that be a furry or a woman becoming a man or a man becoming a woman, that's what that means. But the Bible says what? You know, you're born in sin. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So we, we, don't, we, don't, we don't trust even ourselves to do that which is right. Over the course of my ministry, I've met many people who, when their sin is pointed out that they are not living according to God's word, they'll say something like this. Well, God knows my heart. God knows my heart. You don't know my heart. God knows my heart. And this person may be living with someone, right, in an uh, adulterous affair or, or, they're just, or sexual morality, and, and they're like, God knows my heart. He knows where I'm really at with him, and we're good. What do you think? Are they good? Now, the irony is 99% of the time, if you would have asked that person six months before, a year before, if that was sin, they'd be like, oh yeah, 100% that's sin. But it's not sin for me in my particular case. And again, we can't trust ourselves. They rationalize that sin, the sin that they're doing is okay with God. Normally it would be, uh, not be for, the, uh, for someone else's case, but for them, it's okay. But here's the truth of the situation. If you look at Jeremiah 17.10, after saying about our wickedness, the Lord says this, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. So if you are walking in sin, no matter what your heart might think, no matter what your feelings might be, God is not okay with your situation. The Lord looks at the actions and deeds as much as he does at the heart. The Lord will not be mocked, but will give to everyone according to what they have done, not according to what they intended to do. Does that make sense? Gerald Wilson says this, so the justifications we offer for ourselves and our sins are usually pretty sophisticated or at the least pretty wordy. We have convinced ourselves that we are right, despite the word from God to the contrary. Others have misread it. 
We have the real facts. It doesn't apply to us or to this circumstance specifically. We are the exception for whatever reason. We have to live our truth. Do you see how it becomes our truth all of a sudden? And, and I mean, this could be husbands, wives, right? This could be, I have, they, usually I'm wrong, but today I'm right. I have this, I have this situation 100% locked down. My spouse is in the wrong. I'm not giving, like, is there any time, spouses, that you are 100% right? Like, no, right? Yeah, Mike says yes, okay. Good luck. Um, <laughs> right? Um, our hearts, we, ha- we have to, like, again, going back to this, we have to have a healthy distrust of ourselves. Um, or else we're going to wind up in this place where we're living our truth. I was just talking with someone this last week. A guy was in ministry. He um, sinned uh, sexually. He was found out he was removed from the church and they cared for him and helped him through this situation. But five years later, what do you think his, his thoughts are now? I think he's broken over his sin in the past and it's like, man, Lord, thank you for your grace, for your mercy. I, I know I sinned in that way against you and against your church, but you've forgiven me and I'm moving on to grace. Now the guy is bitter against the church. It was the church's fault. Church's fault? Like, how did that work, right? But, like, to try to talk with someone like that is, is almost impossible because they, 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 have, they have twisted the truth in their minds. How deceptive is the human heart, right? You commit the sin, you devastate a church and your family, and then it's someone else's fault. But that's how we are as human beings. And so I want us to just sink, that, let that sink in this morning. I need to have a healthy distrust of myself when it comes to the truth. When we say I need to live my truth, we are in reality saying I don't want to live according to God's truth. His truth has resulted in hardship and difficulties. And when I turn to my truth, things seem to go better. I'm happier living by my truth. I choose to trust in it rather than trying to live a righteous life. I need to trust my heart. but But the Bible warns you that you cannot trust your own heart. All right, so that's the truth about my truth when it comes to the fact that it cannot be trusted. The second thing I want us to think about is my truth can be twisted. My truth can be twisted. As humanity, we want to believe what we want to believe. We tend to believe that um, what, what society believes. Have you noticed that? We tend to believe what society believes. We kind of think, okay, what's the popular thinking right now? Like, I think if you could get and say, hey, there's no cameras on. I just want your honest opinion. What do you think about the furries? I think over 90% of secular pagan people would say, that's craziness. But they're not going to say that right now. Why? Because that's not what we're supposed to say. We're supposed to say, I'm fully supportive. And let's get some litter boxes in there and let's just make this whole thing great. Like, let's just, like that's, that's where people are at. It, because why? Are people being canceled today? Right? So we got to be careful. I don't want to lose my job. I don't want to, so I'm just going to stay silent and let everybody run amok. But 
again, we have to ask ourselves, is that influencing us? To give you an example of how our culture has changed, 1996, this is an American stat, because every stat that comes out is an American stat, it seems like, okay? But in 1996, 68% of people polled believed that marriage between a same-sex couple should not be recognized by the law as valid with the same rights as a traditional marriage. So it's in 1996, 68% said, no, we shouldn't do it. This wasn't churches. This was like just public. 2022, 71% of people polled believe that marriage between a same-sex couple should be recognized by the law as valid. So what happened in like 26 years? How did that happen? Um... I think it seems like we're supposed to just kind of get on the train here and change what we're thinking. And when there is no objective truth, that's what happens. You're, you're tossed to and fro. It reminds us of what we read in Judges, right? Judges 21, 25. In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And when you have a society like that, when you, everyone does what is right in their own eyes, truth is continually changing. But it should not be changing in the church. When you think about the fruit of judges, that's where our society is heading. What was the fruit? Moral and relational chaos? Bloodshed? Perversion? Like it's like, man, our day is so bad. It was like, yeah, it happened in Judges. There's some things that never change, right? There's nothing new under the sun. But the church must stand strong. Jared Wilson says this, the real truth is not relative. It is not dependent on our desires or our feelings or even our intellectual grasp of it. Truth does not change based on who's in office or on anything that strikes our fancy or inconvenience. So we need to, as w- uh, in our churches, we need to be make sure that we're standing the line when it comes to truth that we're seeking to change culture through truth rather than change the church because of culture. Like, why, why if you think about our, our North American church the last 50 years, why is it that we keep changing churches to look like culture? Like, is that, is that okay? Is that right? It's not okay. It's not right. And we're losing, well, it would seem we're losing the amount of people who are Christians. I, I would maybe argue with that, but Here's what, here's what the scripture says about what's happening in our day right now. 2 Timothy 4, 3 to 4. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. So how's that played out in the last, well... I mean, if you go back to it, it's at least 100 years of this trajectory going, but it's, it's been speeding up the last 50 years. How is it that truth is changing in the church? Well, we get scholars who do a lot of work to get to their position, right? So they'll go into the scriptures and they'll be like, okay, here's, my, here's what I wanted to say. Now I need to figure out a way for it to say it. And they write commentaries, they write books, and the church is like, well... These people are scholarly. And, and, and though we used to think this is wrong, apparently it's right. So now we can believe it. And a lot of people want to believe it. Because why? Because you don't want to stick out in society. You don't want to be known as a fundy. You don't want to be known as a phobic, you know, or whatever. And, and so this is what's happening in our society. 
And we need to be on guard about the twisting of truth. Why do we need to be concerned about the twisting of truth? Well, the truth about my truth, thirdly, is my truth can be tragic. My truth can be tragic. It can be a tragic end. I just want to think about in your own life right now, what are some temptations to exchange the truth with my truth? First, peer pressure. Peer pressure. If you're in a workplace right now where everybody else has got a flag up, a rainbow flag, there's pressure on you. If you're in a school where you know that you're maybe like one of two students in your class where you're, you're alone, you're, you're not excited about the furries, you're, you're not excited about the trans community, and so you're sticking out, there's that peer pressure to say, like, I'm just tired of this. Like, I'm just tired of feeling alone. I'm just tired of, you know, can I, can I just take a time out? Like, I, I'm not going to become trans myself. I'm not going to become a furry myself. But I'm like, do I really have to say I don't agree with it? Is it, is it okay if I just say, uh, you know, uh, it's okay? Like, they can do what they want? Is it okay for me to say that? And, and you, you could feel that pressure. You especially feel it as a young person. But I think we feel it as old people too, right? Especially when it's in your workplace. So peer, peer pressure is one way that you may be tempted to compromise on the truth. The second way is idolatry. This is when we begin worshiping a God of our own making. How does this happen? We don't read the Bible a whole lot. We kind of have some truths in our minds, and we begin to let our thoughts and our feelings dictate who God is and what he would do. For example, the question of what is loving, what is the loving thing becomes distorted when I'm not clinging to the truth. Like that person, they're really hurting. Like I can tell they're really hurting, and you know, they're sure, they're sitting there with a cat costume on right now, but like, like should I tell them it's, 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 there's, there's another way, or should I just... You know, maybe just love them where they're at for a while. You know, and, and I can't really talk to them. This is the crazy part. You have to address them in their cat, cat name and all that. But anyway, but, um, but there's that temptation to start to compromise and start thinking, well, maybe God is actually for the compromise. Here's some questions that you might ask yourself. Isn't it more loving just to accept that person for the way they are? Uh, how could, second question, how could they ever come to faith if I don't just love them the way that they want to be loved? Which is, again, a worldly thinking, but that's, it's seeping into the church. My God would never restrict people in that way. My God is an understanding God who has evolved over the years. Now, what things, you know, we kind of quickly, like, remember slavery? You know, the church used to be for slavery. I mean, you know, things change, and, you know, like, again, that's a distorted view of the truth. That's not true, but that's what gets thrown out. And so, you know, and women used to be down here, and we've changed that, and, you know, so, so now furries and trans, like, we just need to embrace them all. Or you could say this, I, I could never worship a God who would say that is sin. Have you ever met anybody who would say something like that? I could never worship a God who would say blank. Ultimately, you wind up worshiping a God of your own making rather than the Bible what the Bible says about our God. This goes back to finding experts or scholars who find ways to interpret the Bible to fit the culture rather than proclaiming the truth of God's word to change the culture. Jared Wilson says this, poet and author Jackie Hill Perry put it this way, since God is holy and utterly good by nature, even his harshest commands are worth your obedience. Or to say it another way, God is good as he says he is, then every single command is good for you, even if it doesn't feel good to you. 
Like sometimes standing for the truth is really, really hard. And you need to be convinced that the hard part, the standing alone part, is a good thing. Because if you're not convinced that God's word is good, that it is right, that you would suffer for righteousness' sake, then you will begin to gravitate to your truth where it's not so painful, where you can kind of just live maybe a, a life with one world in the church and one world in the world, or one, one leg in the world. Another, another uh, way that we can fall into this is self-delusion. This person thinks that they, ha- they would be so much happier if they just would turn away from the, from the church, if they would just give up their faith. And they think that if they do that, that they'll get everything they ever wanted. Have you ever met anybody like that? Who used to go to church, but they don't anymore? Who just say, you know what? Like, I, I, I remember the church saying that if I chose to go this way, that my life would be hard. That I, if I chose to sin, that I would suffer. But you know what? My life's been great. Like, I have an amazing life, and, and I'm, I've never been happier. And I got a community around me who's like, who understands me finally. The church was always so judgmental, and I'm, I'm just, my life is so much better now. And let's just say that that, that actually happened to that person. And, and they were able to go through their entire life as a happy person. Can they avoid the truth? They can't avoid the truth. It says in Proverbs 14, 12, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. It is the way of death. Again, I, I quote Wilson here. He says this. He think, talks about this woman who did this, Gretchen. Gretchen's truth speaks differently. Her truth says that everybody, everything will be better with her new, with her now because she finally decided to stop living everybody else's truth and live her own. Suppose... Everything goes well for her in the days and years ahead. Suppose she is happier. Suppose she finds people who share her truth, people who, for whom God uh, says doesn't much affect their way of living because his words seem so much more stifling than the freedom of their truth. Then suppose they get to the end of a very long, happy life and must face the author of truth who wants to know why they trade eternity for, comparatively speaking, a blip on the radar. The truth ultimately will not be avoided. See, the, with the truth, I, I can play games. I can play make-believe, right? I, I can put different pronouns after my name. I can play this make-believe game that our culture wants us to believe. But at the end of the day, I will meet the author of truth. And the author of truth, who is the one who created us, will say, why did you do this? And then you will give an account for everything that you did. And ultimately, you will be cast into the lake of fire for the rest of eternity. And so, what's so tragic about living my truth is if I'm doing the loving thing by supporting someone in a sinful lifestyle, I'm loving them right into hell. It's not love at all. Love would say, I do love you, I do care about you, but I think the road that you're going on will not end well. It will end in death, but I know a way that ends in life. And the community that you really want, I know a community like that. It's called the church. 
and, 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 and they truly love you for who you are, not, not for what the world would want you to be, for the one that God created you to be. And so we must stand for truth. I want us to just end this morning by turning to 2 Timothy 3, if you've got a Bible, Bible app. And, and um, I want us to... Uh, I want us to point out this text because I, I, it should be your, like, my go-to text every time I feel like the world is crashing down on me, okay, when, especially when it comes to this agenda. So 2 Timothy 3, he says this in verses 1 through 5, but understand this, in the last days there will come times of difficulty. Are we in the last days? Anybody think we're in the last days? Okay, we've been in the last days for the last 2,000 years, just a heads up on that, okay? Okay, so we are in the last days, okay? There will become times difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, amen, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents. I mean, schools don't want your kids to know what's going on anymore. They're, they're going to they're gonna take, they're gonna raise your kids and let them do whatever they want to do and, and, and walk in disobedience to you ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control. I mean, a world where it says do whatever you want, that's without self-control. Brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Again, even even the, the whole one world agenda that we're moving towards, it's because it'll be, we'll have a utopia. It'll be such a great world. It'll be such a great place. And, and like, does that sound like today? Any of those descriptions sound like today? All right, so, so we're like, okay, yeah, like that. So now what do we do? Well, he tells us, avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of truth. Just as Jannes and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also oppose the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as, that, as, a, uh, as was that of those two men." What do you, what Paul is saying to Timothy here, avoid such people like this in the world. Well, no, they're, they're everywhere, right? In the church. If there's people like this in the church, he goes, uh, going back to 2 Timothy 4, um, you, you need to have those people removed in your church. And so they're wolves trying to, trying to, trying to t- take advantage of people here. So then he says this, you, however, right, so that's the negative, stay away from those people, but now in the positive, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet for, for, from them all the Lord rescued me. And then he says this, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's kind of disappointing, isn't it? Like all means um, all, right? All who want to live a godly life. So we should expect 
that we will be persecuted as we take a stand for righteousness, as we follow Paul's conduct, his aim in life, his faith, his patience, his love, his steadfastness. As we do that, when you walk in a faithful way to Christ, you will be persecuted. People will call, name, call you names. But know that anyone who wants to live a godly life, this will happen. And then he says this, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Godly people, persecuted, the evil will continue on. Then he says this, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Truman, at the conclusion of his book, uh, Strange New World, he said, what are we to do? He says this, in short, we can stand strong at this cultural moment and address the specific challenges we face only if our foundations in God's truth are broad in deep. The only way we'll be able to stand in this culture is if our knowledge of God's word is broad and deep. And now I want us to look again at those last few verses. Note that the scriptures stand in verse 14. The scriptures stand. So we need to embrace them fully. Embrace them fully. Like we should be hungry for the word. We should be hungry for the scriptures, knowing that we're at battle every day. Note, secondly, the scripture's simplicity. In verse 15, it says, teach them early, right? From childhood. Teach them from childhood. Moms and dads, if you want your kids to have any shot of surviving in this world, they need to know the scriptures well, right? Like 30-second devotionals for 18 years aren't going to cut it. They need to know the scriptures well. So teach them early. Next, see that the scriptures save. They reveal Jesus. See that in verse 15? Which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. How are we going to help a world that is lost and cannot and, and doesn't know where to go? It is through the scriptures. They'll say, my authority is self. You can say, okay, well, my authority is the word of God. Because the script, I, as, I, as I've lived my life, I know I can't trust myself. The Bible tells me I can't trust myself. And so I don't have the authority of myself. I have the authority of the word of God. And it's so much better. And what the word tells me is that Christ has come that you might have life. Fourthly, note the scripture's supremacy. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, right? It is our authority. It's, it, it is that which is for teaching, for, for reproof, for correction, for training and righteousness. Like, without the word of God, we all become furries. Does that seem like a drastic moment? Okay. But that's kind of, that's, that's the reality. We become like the world if we do not cling to the scriptures, if we do not know the scriptures well. The scriptures sanctify, so we need to study them continually. And then lastly, the scriptures, see there's this sufficiency. Sufficiently. It says this in verse 17, that the man of God may be complete, equipped, for every good work. There's a lot of things we don't know what to do in life. 
It's like, I don't know. I don't have the answers. Where should I find the answers? Anybody been paying attention? Where should I find the answers? The scriptures. And I know there's something in us that's like, well, it can't be that simple. You know, it can't be that easy. You know, like, you know, like it seems like kind of a Sunday school answer. If it was a good Sunday school, yes. <laughs> right? Because that is the answer. The scriptures are the answer, but not in a little cutesy kind of way, like a, I just need a verse for the day to plug away, but it, like I need to know the truth so that I can fight all lies. That's the only way that we avoid ourselves living my truth versus God's truth. And if we're being honest, each and every week we slip into our own truth. Every time we listen to temptation, we believe at that moment, this is good for me. My sin is good for me at this moment. Whatever the sin is, we do it because we think it's best at that moment. But the truth will set us free. Amen? Amen. Let me pray. God, we thank you so much for this time together this morning. And as we think about our world and, and just where it's going and um, where our culture is at and, and if things don't change, where it could get, Lord, um, where we, we, we look to you. I, I think again of that, what it says in Chronicles, Lord, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And Lord, as we put our eyes on you, Lord, we pray, would you help us to be people of the word? Would you help us not to be sluggards when it comes to reading the word, to studying the word? Would you help us to spur one another on, knowing that there's so much at stake right now? Lord, uh, the world desperately needs people who walk in truth. In a world full of lies, they need to see what truth really looks like. And Lord, because Christ has come, we can be those people. You've set us free from the power of sin, from lies, and Lord, in order that we might walk in righteousness and walk in your ways, walk in your truth. So God, we pray that um, as, we, as we move forward as a church family, God, would you help us to be salt and light for your namesake? Would you help us, Lord, uh, to, to stand firm when we like to shrink back? Would you help us to, to do what it says in Psalm 139 to, to say on a daily basis, search me, Lord, try me, see if there be any sinful way in me, Lord, and lead me in the way everlasting. Lord, we love you. We want you to be glorified in our lives. It's your name we pray. Amen.